please join with me in prayer. Lord, as, as we hear this passage this day, at first hearing, Lord, it's a little shocking. And yet, Lord, we know that to follow you is where fullness of life is found. And we pray that would be where we're found today. That we would discover, if but for the first time, that a walk with you, even in the midst of, of hard times, is a life that is the best lived. And we pray, Lord, you would think our thoughts now. Take my words and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, the, the bulletin is printed on Thursdays, and so it's about 3.30 in the afternoon after Iris has already printed the bulletin where I realize that's a stupid title for this sermon. <laughs> I, I, forgive me. I'm sorry about doing this to you because it sounds cocky, you know, arrogant. Three steps to handle suffering in your life, and it's smooth sailing from that point on, <laughs> right? That's what, for some of you, you read that and you go, yeah, right. Forgive me. I think it's better if we, the title would be How to Keep from Being Handled by Suffering is where we're going with this. And that's what Peter's trying to tell us. In the very beginning of Peter's letter in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Peter wrote, In this you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Later on, he says, Your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, refined by fire, may prove genuine and result in praise and glory and honor. So over the next couple weeks, we're going to wrap up Peter's letter, and today we wrap up chapter 4. Coming off of that glorious passage from last week where the end is near, right? Therefore, we do what? We are self-controlled and sober-minded. We're hospitable. We serve one another. And we show hospitality to one another. And so he ends up with this wonderful phrase, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And we all said, amen. Right? But then he says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. See, the prosperity gospel isn't what the Bible teaches. It teaches real life. This touches each and every one of us. So I encourage you to turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of 1 Peter. If you're visiting with us, you can find it in the back of your bulletin. Because we're going to talk about these fiery trials. Fiery trials is the Greek word purosis. We get the word purify from that word. Revelation 3.18, the same word is used when Jesus is speaking to the church. He says, I will give you gold purified gold as refined through fire. That's, that's that word, purosis, puromai. So how do you know you've put the silver through the fire enough? Kimmy and I had our honeymoon in Williamsburg in January of 1985. Don't get married in January, all right? Half the things were closed. I had no idea. I'm a dumb 23-year-old, all right? But the reality was we were there, and the silversmith shop was open. I go, awesome, let's go in and see. So he was making pewter, pewter. And, and I asked him, how do you know the metal is done? He said, well, 
I know because when I look into it, I can see my face in it. I know it's been through enough, and I know it's pure. And so I remembered that because you remember your honeymoon, right? (laughs) That's exactly what God does to us. He puts us through the fire over and over and over and over again until he can see his image reflected in our lives. That's the idea behind purosis, purifying. A fiery trial is any situation in which obedience and trust in God is going to cost you. And here's how you know you're in it. You're in that fire and you sense the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying to you, now we'll figure out whether you turn to me to serve you or whether you turn to me to serve me. That's first. The second thing, how you'll know, is the fire incinerates and destroys the dross of your life. The stuff which is the false glories, the false stories of our lives, which in the end don't matter. You see all your false glories in the fiery trials. So, he says, don't be surprised. Obey and entrust all your life to Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed today. Number one, don't be surprised at your fiery trials. Two, be obedient unto the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of your life, not yours, and entrust all of your life to Jesus. So, number one, Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you in order to test you. This word test is the word prove to show what you really are. It actually comes from the root word that actually means to poke or to pierce. If you want to know what something is like, you poke it. Don't poke the bear, right? But you pierce it. That's the the whole idea of refiner's fire. Peter means that there will be seasons in your life that you're going to lack provision. You're going to lack the power. You're going to lack the position. You're going to lack the protection. And you're going to lack, in a sense, a a, a permanence. He means that at times we will become recipients of verbal abuse and persecution. There will be times in our Christian life we might suffer physical persecution that arise on account of our belief in the word that's been throughout the letter. He also means to include the pain experienced by those whose loved ones, whose bodies appear to be wasting away before our very eyes. He means the dark moments in life when we're asked to fend off the prowling attacks of the world, the flesh, and the devil. These trying difficulties typically are occasional. It doesn't happen every day. Peter does say in chapter 1, verse 6, Uh, If necessary. But in the end, for anyone who follows Jesus Christ, Peter wants his readers to know that trials of some size and some type are inevitable for everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ. We must go through the rivers of woe, but in Christ they will not overflow us. George Whitfield, the great Anglican evangelist, And the Great Awakening knew that trials were going to be part and parcel of his experience in ministry. Therefore, when they came and they did in abundance, he was prepared. 
He wrote this in his journal as he graduated from seminary at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. He said, I am now about to take orders in my degree and go into the world. What will become of me, I know not. All I can say is I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles in that life and hope for no other peace but only a cross while on this side of eternity. That's a good word for us. We should expect difficulties. The fact that we don't only indicates how little we have learned of the core of the Christian faith. As our text will soon say, our sufferings come precisely when we share in Christ's suffering, verse 13. So we should not be surprised because we are with him in our sufferings. Think about it this way. What does a coach do with an athlete? What does a, a farmer do with a grapevine? What does a silversmith do with silver? What does a parent do with a child? In every case, they're giving something in their hands to bring out the beauty, bring out the productivity, bring out the greatness of it. And what do they do in every case? Push it, snip it, burn it, discipline it. To the ignorant eye, it looks like they're killing it. But to the wise eye, they realize in every single case, this is how the person grows. So don't be surprised when walking with the Lord, circumstances poke you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That's a command, brothers and sisters. Rejoice. You know, if you read through the book of First Peter, you'll see that Peter never says don't grieve. Yes, he says rejoice, but rejoice means that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. He's not saying be happy that you're suffering. That's masochism. He's saying rejoice because as a Christian, just as the sufferings of Christ gave him the name which is above every name. Just as the suffering of Christ was redemptive, just as when he handled the sufferings obediently, he was highly exalted and given the name that is above in every name, you are in the same pattern. You're sharing in his suffering. You're part of the same team. You're walking in the same shoes. You're supposed to rejoice that you're making progress. You're supposed to rejoice in all of it. And don't be surprised by it. You will not handle suffering if you're surprised at it. If you're saying, how could this be happening to me? I'm a good person. I've done that. I go to 915 Little Church for crying out loud. Why is this happening to me? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say God loves me? What's going on? Hear me. Grief will never destroy you, but surprise will. How can you overcome surprise? You understand that you're not to be surprised. You understand me. You think of the coach, the farmer, the silversmith, the parent. 
If you don't understand, you'll be shocked by suffering. It'll be too much to bear. And so many are surprised by it. Jesus wept. He was always crying. He was sweating blood. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't say, well, I'm just rejoicing in everything that God is doing to me. I know God will bring good out of it. Praise God. No, he's down in the dirt, sweating blood. He's saying, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He's not in denial. He's not suppressing his emotions. That's not Christianity. But he's not surprised by it. He knows what's coming. Nevertheless, he prays, not my will, but your will be done. And he confesses, I don't know if I can go through this. What we sink you is not your grief, but it's the surprise. So how will you get over the surprise of fiery trials of suffering? By being obedient in all areas of your life as you walk with Christ. By walking in his way with the Lord and his people, not your way. Verse 15. It's kind of comical, by the way. All right. Peter just kind of covers the whole swath of sin. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Murdered anybody lately? Thief. Or an evildoer. Or a meddler. The most important thing for you to do in your suffering is to walk with the Lord in the midst of it. To keep doing what you know you're always called to do in Christ. It's so easy to rationalize and disobey the Lord when you go through trouble, right? It's very easy to stop reading the word, stop praying, stop coming to church, stop serving. Because you're absorbed in your own trouble. It's very easy to kind of, uh, kind of brood on self-pity. It's very easy to turn your back on God. Tim Keller calls these the escape sins. It's those things you know are wrong, but you just do them anyway because you get a brief high to kind of overcome the bad feeling that you're feeling at the present time. And you get addicted to it. It's so easy when you're under the surgeon's knife to wiggle around the table. But do you realize how awful that is? I mean, you've got a tumor in your body, and, and you're standing there keeping the, the surgeon from operating on you. No, 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 no. And the surgeon goes, look, this is going to be very hard if you don't settle down and stay quiet and calm and still. No, my friends, obedience in Christ is to stay still in him. Keep reading the word. If it's small chunks, pray in small chunks. Keep coming to the assembly on the Lord's day. Be fed by his word. Be fed at his table. He loves you so. And turn outward in service, not inward. Suffering met with obedience makes you into a huge heart. Charles Spurgeon said an ounce of sin will hurt you far more than 10 million tons of suffering. Sin hardens you, embitters you, and makes you more selfish. Stay put. Obey. Don't meddle. Three, and last, entrust all of your life to Jesus Christ. Verse 19. 
Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. The word entrust means to make a deposit. You only deposit yourself in a bank that's insured, a bank that you're sure of. That's who Jesus is. We can trust him and trust all of our lives to him. Why? Why can you say, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but I trust you? Here's why. No other worldview or no other religion in the world has what we have. There's lots of wisdom in other religions, but this is the only religion where you have a God who suffers. Even Judaism, our closest cousin, doesn't even have a God who suffers. We stand on the shoulders of Judaism, but Yahweh doesn't suffer. Jesus Christ suffered. He suffered socially. Everyone abandoned him, rejected him. He was lonely. He suffered physically more than we can, any of us can understand upon the cross. He suffered spiritually and suffered tremendous alienation and desolation being cut off from his heavenly father upon the cross. Here is a God, when you go to him and say, I'm suffering, he's the only God who can say, I know how you feel. All the other gods as they're depicted in other religions, they don't know what it's like to be hurt. They don't know what it's like to be lonely. They don't know what it's like to be facing death. No, my friends, we know that in Christ, if you can't commit yourself to Jesus Christ and live the way he lived and the way he faced suffering, who in the world can you trust? You can trust yourself. That's what most people do. Most my observation of people in the suburbs, not just in Cleveland, but all over the place, you know, they, I'm a Christian, but they keep them right here. I don't want to take this thing too seriously, you know, might affect me. No, my friends, entrust all of your life to Jesus Christ, for he cares for you. The Daily Bread had a devotional a few years back that mentioned an evangelist who was visiting an orange grove down in Florida, and the season was unusually dry, and some of the trees were beginning to die for lack of water. The farmer, giving him a tour, then took him to his own orchard where the irrigation was used very sparingly during this dry season. And the farmer said to the evangelist, he said, hey, th these trees can go without rain for about another couple weeks. It didn't look all that good. He said, you see, when they were young, I frequently kept from watering them. And their hardship caused them to send their roots deeper into the soil in search of moisture. Now mine are the deepest rooted trees in the areas. And while others are getting scorched by the sun, these are finding moisture at a greater depth. Malcolm Muggeridge, the great journalist of the 20th century, wrote in 1990 before his death, Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete trust truthfulness that in everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience, has been through affliction and not through happiness. 
fiery trials will come to us as Christ's followers. Don't be surprised by them. Walk with Jesus in his way, not yours, in obedience, and entrust every area of your life over to him. It's what it means to make him Lord. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we come to you, and we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, enable us to commit ourselves in this way and never be surprised at the purifying trials we go through. To walk with you in obedient lives and to completely entrust all of our lives to your grace. Let it be that the fiery ordeal that we're enduring right now may we realize that it's there to turn us into something so pure that Jesus sees his face in us when he gazes upon us. For we pray all this in his mighty name. Amen.